guys. I'm really gonna miss this place. Me too. Hey, let's all promise that in 10 years from today, we'll meet again and we'll see what kind of people we've blossomed into. Yeah! What time you want to meet? You mean 10 years from now? Yeah. Let's meet in the morning so we can make a day of it. Okay, so what is it? Is it like 9 or 9.30? Well, let's say 9. That way we can be here by 9.30. Well, no, why don't we say 9.30 and then make it your beeswax to be here at 9.30? And we're all going to be in our late 20s by then. I just don't see any reason why we can't be places on time. Okay, then. It's settled. 9.30 it is. All agreed? Agreed. Agreed. Yeah. Agreed. agreed. yeah. Great, because I have something at 11. Episode 64 of the Cult of Matt Mark Film Review Podcast. Make sure to hit our blog at cultfilmreview.blogspot.com or shoot us an email at cultfilmreview at gmail.com. Yeah, so uh, I wasn't expecting that. Mark gave me no heads up that that was the intro music that I was supposed to cue to. But hey, whatever. This week, our film is Wet Hot American Summer. Uh, released in 2001, correct? Mm-hmm. Summer 2001. That's right. Oh, I forgot to talk about show news. You got any show news? Any, any big show I news? I do not have any show news. Show news for me, I switched over to gas this week. It was a big event here. I had to take oh. a couple of days off. So I watched this movie on Netflix in my office while people were hammering and banging and having conversations right under my feet in my crawl space. It was a little weird. but Oh, that's know. neat. Yeah, so... Uh, middle-aged excitement all around over here, you know. Uh, <laughs> it's pretty sad, huh? I, I never thought. Uh, what? The, oh, it'll be fun to cook with gas. The fun, the not-so-fun part is staying home from work while people work on your house and then outlaying thousands of dollars. Uh, yeah, that's with. that's the hit. The, the, the writing checks for five and $3,000 this week have been a little bit uh, shocking. So. Oh, that's not too bad. I mean, hold on. Does that include the appliances? Yeah, the, and the appliance that we bought isn't cheap. It was a, it's a Viking gas range. Yeah. So, so total eight grand for this whole change out. That sounds like a pretty good deal. Well, then I a mean, couple sorta. more for the stove. But we're boring our okay. listeners. Okay, and the to furnace death. too, right? To death, we're boring our listeners. What sort of financing options are available right. there? At, uh, this uh, week. All right. So let's get to the plot rundown of Wet Hot American Summer. Yes, uh, wet. I'm going Hot to American summer. read the lengthy uh, plot rundown because I want to make sure we catch all the gags and all the sub-characters. Is it really lengthy or is it short? You're just joking. No, it's pretty lengthy. I'm going to do it. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm going to right, go gonna, ahead. Go for it. I'll let you read it. Okay. 1980s teen comedies finally get the parody they so richly deserve with Wet Hot American Summer. The first feature film from writer-director David Wayne and co-screenwriter Michael Showalter, formerly of the sketch comedy troupe The State. Mm-hmm. It's the last day of summer season 
of the summer season at Camp Firewood, and as Camp Director Beth prepares to wrap things up, the staff of teenage counselors realize this is their last chance to do something about the summer romances that have been brewing for the past three months. Sweet but shy Coop is crazy about pretty Katie, but there's the problem of her severely moody boyfriend, Andy, played by Paul Rudd. Uh, Meanwhile, Victor is trying to score with sexy Abby who is known to make friends easily. And McKinley and Ben attempt to keep their hot and heavy relationship a secret. Meanwhile, arts and crafts teacher Gail turns to her students for comfort as her marriage falls apart. Drama coach Susie tries to whip the talent show into shape with Ben's help. And camp chef Gene, and I know Mark <laughs> loves Gene, deals with his unique sexual quirks with the help of taking... Ta- with a, the help of a talking can of vegetables, Beth even <laughs> mixed finds vegetables. mixed vegetables. Beth even finds time for romance with socially inept astrophysicist Henry, played by David Hyde Pierce. But first, Henry has to save Camp Firewood from a larger piece of space junk about to reenter the Earth's atmosphere. Oh, that I oh, mentioned yeah. here, but that's Skylab. <laughs> so that's the plot rundown. Yeah, that's uh, pretty much it. So I'm pretty sure Sky- Skylab. When did that deorbit? Was it? I wonder if they actually made it deorbit. It was actually deorbited. In I, I'm looking at the Skylab, the lengthy Skylab Wikipedia article. Uh, uh-huh. There was some prize offered for delivering a chunk of Skylab to uh, the office of the San Francisco Examiner. I don't know why. I remember it being a big deal. And, you know, I think I was seven at the time. Or when did it uh-huh. go in through reentry? I don't remember. Well, that's the question. Must, I mean, I'm guessing it was around 81. Yeah. And that's when this movie set. I remember I was with my grandparents for some reason. We were driving along the Puyallup River, and there's these big slabs of concrete on the bank that people can paint mur- that could paint murals on. And I remember there was this awesome one, and it was uh, somebody had painted a graffiti-styled Skylab burning up in the Earth's atmosphere, and I was really tripped out by it as a kid. And I remember asking mm. my grandpa's like, what is that? And it's like, oh, that's Skylab. Uh, this isn't anything new when Mir crashed through the atmosphere. Remember, I think... Oh, yeah, because it was going in the Pacific, but there was some there was some uncertainty. Taco Bell was sponsoring some reentry contest. like, uh, And then they had like a big target out in the ocean that said, you know, mirror hit here or something. I don't remember. Oh, really? Yeah, I don't I remember. Do not, I do not remember that. But you got to remember, Skylabs was the, was the first piece of big space hardware to, you know, significantly deorbit. So it was probably yeah. pretty interesting to the public. There might have been some Cold War stuff that deorbited that nobody, nobody knew about because they had this, those big old film reconnaissance orbiters way before Skylab, I think. Yeah. Right. And well, then there was uh, things that weren't going quite so fast that reentered like the uh, second stages of Saturn. And this was launched by Saturn, too. So anyway, uh, a lot of space history there for. uh, And um, that's pretty much what this film focuses on is, uh, you know, our role in how the space race changed America (laughs) and especially the young people. Uh, Okay, so the, the final talent show scene with uh that actor i forget his name but he plays the comic book proprietor in the big bang theory now and he doesn't look like he's aged at all but that because that was like oh the guy plays ago. the sort of the weirdo robot that, uh, dude yeah, yeah. Would pretend he was a robot and he had that weird wind thing yeah. yeah well the wind thing i was watching that because they were out there like predicting you know skylab was going to crash into the uh yeah camp and everything that's probably that's probably the worst storyline in this entire movie this <laughs> the movie wind, has a zillion storylines the wind comes up 
And I kept thinking about that meteor that crashed into Russia with all those uh, camp security cameras. And there was one where it was like this gal and a guy in some office. uh, And then all of a sudden the window like explodes and a gust of wind comes in because the meteors like crashing into the earth at Mach 25 or something like that. So no, it was, it exploded in the air. Like just, well, like it did as it was the, going through reentry, the, but the, the deceleration, shock yeah, the deacceleration force, it just, there was like some sort of catastrophic structural failure in the, uh, right. No, I mean, that's that the shock wave did it right. It didn't hit the ground. Or maybe not, the shockwave blew out windows and everything. Yeah, and so I, I thought they were doing a little bit of uh, you know uh, actually true to real life there with the shockwave and the wind coming up and oh, you thought that lab. maybe it, it <laughs> yeah. just saying it was pretty realistic, especially the uh, the weird uh, scientific device that uh, they were using to uh, to influence the path of Skylab. yeah the colander yeah, <laughs> with uh, yeah. car antennas and shit well yeah. you know this this movie is just a, a an endless series of goofy bits it's it's a farce and farce yeah is, it's a farcical movie is it's a, one thing I, it sort of forgives itself it's more like um it's sort of like a a really great episode of saturday night live even the good ones have their down bits but they also have great bits too well, there's that's how, that's how I watch this a movie. huge list. I'm looking at it now of the subgenre of farce that captures exactly where this movie uh, fits. And you know, I always think of kind of the titans of the farce and uh, Caddyshack, uh, mm-hmm. National Lampoon's Vacation and Christmas Vacation, The Jerk. Um, oh yeah, the did I already mention Legend of Ron Burgundy? Because that's an amazing. Oh, we one. mentioned it. We were talking about it before we started recording. Yeah, you know, it's it's something the farce, or also known as the spoof. Yeah, right? yeah. we haven't covered that at all in in our uh, in our in our podcast. That's sort of interesting. It's a, a sort of a, a a genre that maybe we need to explore. Strange Brew seriously. with Bob and Doug McKenzie. Oh, Strange Brew! God, I've totally forgotten about that movie. Like they put something in the alcohol to make it addictive. <laughs> Yeah, it was great. Uh, Monty Python. I even got that as a kid. Oh, yeah, the Monty Python films. Yeah. I got Super Super Troopers. Super Troopers is a great great one. Yeah. The Ben Stiller movies, like something about Mary, Zoolander. There's there's a huge long list of what I call the farce comedies. And I kept thinking Mm -hmm. uh, about my favorites. And I yeah. have a, Ron Burgundy is definitely one of my favorites, and I think Will Ferrell is uh, terrific at the farce. I think he's uh, up there with Chevy Chase and uh, Ben Stiller as far as a um, you know farcical comedy genius. Less so Mike Myers. I know Mike Myers is sort of a stalwart with his Austin Powers movies. Oh yeah, and the first things. Austin Powers is not bad. So. The farce is basically, it comes out of sketch comedy. And sketch comedy yeah. is a different animal than, I would say, stand-up comedy and significantly different animal. Because sketch comedy comedians aren't necessarily that good at stand-up, and stand-up comedians aren't necessarily very good at sketch comedy. I mean, there's uh, a there lot is, of crossover well, for like certain Chris, individuals. Like Chris Rock, you know, uh, Eddie Murphy, here to stick with black 
uh, alumni of Saturday Night Live. <laughs> yeah, let's, what other um, black alumni can we remember? Yeah, right. Uh, but th- was, those, was one of the Wayans brothers on Saturday Night Live for a while? I'm pretty sure. A, those are the living color. They were in living color. I'm pretty sure one of them went over, because there's like 12 Maybe. or 13 of them, right? Um, yeah, so I was, you know, there's a few crossovers that, that, but their acts are significantly different. Like David Cross does sketch comedy, but he's also a uh, really a, amazing stand-up comedian. Yeah. Um, I would say Louis C.K. these days with his new show, Louis. I don't know if you've oh, watched yeah, it. Oh, yeah, yeah. I never really watched that. Uh, but those are kind of rare. So in, in this instance, we're looking more at the sketch comedian uh, folks. So uh, Saturday Night Yeah, I guess Live, I've, always, I've always sort of liked the um, the state guys. Something about the state I enjoy. There's a real absurdist, absurdity to it that's almost almost not even funny. It's so absurd. <laughs> Disturbing. It sort of reminds really me funny. of uh, of uh, oh, who is who is more popular these days? Um, uh, see the awesome show, great job. What yeah, you love that one. That one's too yeah. fucking weird for me, man. That's just weird. It's really weird. I mean, at some point you're just going. <laughs> Tim and Eric's awesome show, great yeah. job. Yeah, yeah, too fucking Tim weird. Tim and Eric. I tried to watch their billion dollar movie, but I sort of got. Uh, I got to sit down and really force myself to watch the. <laughs> Tim and Eric's billion dollar movie. It's just insane. <laughs> uh, my favorite uh, is the Kids in the Hall guys. I, I think oh, yeah. The, uh, well, because they, they, they sort of follow the Monty Python form of playing all the female bits in drag, mm-hmm. which. Yeah, I do like drag. That's great. Is a, a pretty awesome. Uh, and there's like a core group of guys, you know. Uh, so this is basically this move, this, the cast of this film. And it has a, a lot of heavy hitters. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah, that's the other interesting thing about the film. So Amy Poehler, Molly Shannon, uh, yeah. Paul Rudd, who uh, yeah. is – he's a Jub Apatow kind of staple now as far as uh, the films he's in. And uh, let's see. Who else here? Michael Ian Black, who was a host of, I think, The Soup. Was it The Soup he was a host of for a while? I don't remember. Uh, yeah. I don't think so. You might have been. You I'm, I'm not sure. And strangely, uh, up and coming Oscar worthy, I want to say that, or Oscar nominated Bradley Cooper of uh, yeah, Brad uh, Cooper's in it. The Hangover fame. Uh, let's see, what else do we have here? Oh, and then David Hyde, Hyde Pierce, who's always great. He's the mm-hmm. uh, astrophysicist who Janine Garofalo gets knocked up by in like under twenty four hours. <laughs> well, there's all this. There's these different stratified groups based on their peer. Big on their generation age. There's the there's the kids. And there's the like the nineteen or seventeen, eighteen, nineteen year olds, and then there's like the later twenty year olds, like Janine Garofalo. So and this they, they each sort of list. They live in their own separate world in this movie, and their storyline. Yeah. Is sort of so this movie, uh, I guess, exploits. I'm going to say exploits the the 80s nostalgia element. Uh, it's 20 it's supposed to be 20 years in the past. And when things are 20 years in the past, the zeitgeist gets distilled a little bit more easily. You're able to categorize a era in history a lot more easily when you have 20 years in hindsight. Now it's strange because the kids that were kids in the 90s view the 90s like I view the 80s. So things like grunge music and flannel and uh, all that kind of stuff now is is uh, kish and quirky and, and funny. 
and uh-huh. uh, all the um, technology of the era is is funny. Uh, giant cell phones. Not a big focus on. Oh, there's not really. Yeah, I mean those, those are funny, but uh, it's sort of. There's not really. You know, they're out in camp, so there's a little bit of a timeless element in this movie. Well, you we know, got camp is sort of a place references of to to Betamax. Uh, yeah, uh, uh, excessive soundtrack use of Foreigner. <laughs> um, oh, the there was there were some interesting songs on the soundtrack. The uh, permanence for men, which I think was the uh, who who had the permanent. What character? Oh, well, Ken Marino, I think, was sporting a perm. Yeah. And Do you remember that? My uncle got my uncle's got permanence back in the early eighties. Uh, oh, I've just always called them perms. Do people commonly refer to them as permanence? I don't know perms. Man, I, I had a perm. perms for men. What? I had a perm. You went. I had the... a. Uh, I had a, a permed mullet. So it's a uh, business in the front, permed party in the back. So seriously, you you yeah. You, you got the Billy Ray Cyrus at age. You perm just the back, just the the drape and the mud flap. You just perm that. That was you, huh? Yeah, that was me. What the man. fuck? When did you have Junior that haircut? High. Wow! Fucking, I had to. You had to do it to get tail. Maybe you were a hesher. No choice. Yeah. No, I, I don't know. I, my hairdresser did it. You had so. a hairdresser when you were in junior high? Yeah, we'd go. There was a lady that my mom went to that ran like a hairdressing salon. She had a duplex, and one side was her home, and the other side was uh, the pretty standard mix of hair salon slash tanning. So she had like, it was like a two-bedroom, you know, like a duplex. So it's like the mirrored house, and it was like yeah. a two-bedroom house on one side and a two-bedroom house on the other. The main living area dining room was the salon the two bedrooms were the the uh tanning areas and the kitchen was just like a prep area okay mark uh, it's a pretty standard small business i never got permanence i just got my hair cut by some old barber you know (laughs) well my mom would always perm her hair so she just took us there but perms for men that was an 80s thing and it was a horrific uh travesty of uh you know, you really think it's a oh, fucking terrible. I look at my some old pictures of my uncles with perms, and I'm like, you got to be kidding me! What the my fuck? My older brother had a full perm. They say how to fro. And it really <laughs> looks great when you have red hair. Yeah, no, it's like that. We it's call the old the, red hair fro. It's like Jew fro by design, which seems like a bizarre thing to go for. You know, it I didn't look know. great on him. I'll be honest with you; it's not the, <laughs> yeah, not the best look you had. Great, they look terrible. The late eighties, but uh, you terrible. know. It's it's uh it's we you know people were wearing it. Plus, he was playing b ball quite a bit at the time. There so was, was sort of it was sort of uh you know it made sense out there on the court. There was uh, one it of the gave indoor him like three extra inches of height. Yeah, yeah, basketball Jones. There was a reference to uh, one of the indoor kids being a class B dungeon master, and uh, I'm just saying. Yeah, there was there were the indoor kids, and they used to filled the uh, sort of the standardized uh, types of kids, you know. Yeah, D kid, the uh, medieval kid, the cure kid. Well, that's the goth music. That's the thing about like farces. You really got to exploit stereotype because, uh, you know, it's it's like in Saturday Night Live. Some of the funniest bits are are stereotypes of certain people, not necessarily uh, groups of people, but certain specific people. That's sort of funny to to make fun of, like uh, the douchebag, you know. Which there's uh, the Paul Rudd it's character Paul Rudd. in this, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. 
the the well, vapid. That's a great, as they say, specificity is really a key to making something really pop as humorous. Yeah. Very specific about it. Sort of an important element the vap- of comedy. The vapid sort of prom queen, which uh, you get that little uh, bit there with. Uh, I forget the. With I want to I want to call him the main character because he, the, most Coop. of the bits focus around him. Coop, you mean? Yeah, with uh, the shaggy hairdo that's always yeah. going after Katie. He has like a, he's sort of a he really uh, he longs lusts after Katie, even though she's uh, really attracted to um, Andy. Who's the right? Cool so there's that confession there at the when they're leaving camp about how oh yeah <laughs> that's hilarious yeah I just want to fuck him. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I, maybe when I'm like old and ready to get married, uh, I'll go after you again. But right now, that's just all I want to do. So <laughs> he's cut from marble. She says, "Truth," which is yeah. a term I've always enjoyed. Uh, I like chiseled from wood perfectly. Uh, well, you know the so. one thing about this movie is the way it compresses time. It all takes place over about uh, thirty-six hours. Yeah, people go through enormous life-changing events multiple times. Yeah, there's some dilation of events. Like you get the timestamp there in the morning, and you're like, "Wow, you know, they they went to town, turned into junkies, and came back in under an hour." Well, the uh, the, the the camp the camp director and the and the physics professor Beth and Henry they meet each other in the morning, like at six in the morning, and the next morning she's pregnant after they've had trouble yeah. getting pregnant. And uh, they're mo- both moving together to uh, the professor's new position at NASA down in Florida. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah, they made these life decisions in uh, under 24 hours, you know. So. It's just great. I just love the way it just tells it – just, it just doesn't worry about time, which I, th- I think is really neat. It's, it's just sort of funny the way it sort of so just – we're, like, been- we're not even going to worry about how these things don't fit in our time, sca- time span. So I was going to say uh, – the the dungeon master thing because I I I would like to say that I'm probably not a class B but a class A dungeon master just for all the listeners out there so, yeah what is the classification on that there's is no sort class of like comic books yeah it's bullshit there's no class you know you don't you're not classified a dungeon master you just well, there's uh, not a standardized test yeah that's right <laughs> where you, you have it. to come up with a scenario and submit it and then they uh, they review all that's right your NPCs you rolled w- wizards w- wizards of the coast formerly TSR uh, issues you a dungeon master license and you're able to then, uh, yeah. So, uh, I was a dungeons and dragons geek probably. And I had eras of, of D and D, uh, there was probably my high school era, which was kind of a lonely era. Cause it was just me and my friend, Pat, who would play dungeons and dragons. And then, uh, I had sort of a Renaissance when I was in grad school cause we were stuck in Laramie, Wyoming and I, we had about four or five folks that we used to play Dungeons and Dragons with, and we played fucking a lot of Dungeons and Dragons. I'd say like over two or three years, we played about every other weekend. So uh, I got my Dungeon Master chops up then. I was a pretty solid Dungeon Master, I'll tell you that much. But uh, lost art, really. It's his storytelling art, and it may be one of the reasons that I uh, try to write these days. It's uh, well, you know, people still play. Pen and paper, Dungeons and Dragons quite a bit. I mean, yeah, lots of. I mean, there's this. They haven't stopped making these these products. There's all the Warhammer 40k, and there's still a ton of stuff. There's like some podcasts where people just record themselves. That's the, fucking the boring. 
<laughs> rolling. It's not bad. There's one I listen oh, to that's not too God. bad. It's sort it's of so an adjunct to another podcast. Oh. It's sort of fun. But you, you forget how much how heavy the bullshit is during the game because just to make things flow, you're constantly just uh, the dungeon master's constantly just just making the world conform to what he needs, just bullshitting his way. Well, a lot of it's line. static dice rolling and uh, technical issues that crop up for playing Dungeons and Dragons. Uh, the the fun part, I guess, the storytelling part is sort of the the the, the segues in between combat where you really kind of get into the art of storytelling and uh i think sometimes it depends if if your players want to really role play or not on top of that yeah and uh you know it's sort of a mix like you can do that and it's uh i stephen colbert is admitted uh was an admitted D &D player back in the day and you can see because he's sort of a sketch comedy guy and uh there's a lot of improv and uh role playing that goes on in being a sketch comedy guy so bringing it back home you know there so i don't know uh lost art but i was a pretty good dungeon master so you know um it's definitely an important skill and certainly takes a lot more creativity than playing a video game it's more like trying to create one without all the not not nearly the level of technical well and it's sort of funny because uh it was so derided back in the 80s you had these uh cautionary tales like tom hanks and mazes and monsters you know you're going to become a uh devil worshiping uh psychotic and wander the subways of uh new york on the verge of killing anybody because you think they're a monster. I just, Did it, you ever experience that personally? It just, it's hilarious because like Dungeons and Dragons is, is for starters teaches you some rudimentary math and statistics because you're rolling dice and you know, you have to do some math while you're playing. Uh, it's extremely literary because it's all coming from books and uh, social on top of it. You know, the, you're, you're, engaging with people and sort of exploring your imagination i think it's like one of the, that and legos man that's like one of the best things that kids can be doing in my opinion mm. it turns them into total nerds and geeks and probably bully little people but uh other than that i, I don't know there's nothing no, i think it's wrong. a good it's a good imaginative exercise i'd encourage you actually i've experienced the being dissuaded from associating myself with dungeons and dragons as a child my uh, dad's a good friend of my dad's his son who was uh, like five years older than me was really into D and D, and my dad warned me and my mom warned me not to get involved with that D and D business. The, yeah, because they they had been told off of. So there were some references to Satanism or whatnot. That friend ended up getting a physics degree <laughs> and then dropping out of acad dropping oh. out of academia and now runs his own lumber company. All right. Yeah. Uh, what a demented individual. Yeah, well, your parents are <laughs> kind of terrible person. Your parents are kind of reactionary Jesus freaks on a certain level, weren't they? Well, I mean, as much as going to church makes you a reactionary Jesus freak, I but mean, they wouldn't let you watch R-rated movies, and they were all really worried about that kind of thing, right? Well, my dad, my dad sort of had strong feelings about cussing. Yeah, but he was he was just sort of a prude. I mean, he was, he was a product of his time. I, I I don't think there was anything particularly demented about him. Oh, you just no, I'm sorry, man. I didn't mean to. And... I wasn't. I wasn't making any kind of comment. I was just like it. It. 
To warn, no offense taken. To warn, it's interesting that I experienced that. Yeah, to warn a kid about. I think the church had warned against D and D as being satanic, and so they were just sort of, you know, why don't you stay away from it? Well, I tell you, too bad because I probably would have enjoyed it quite a bit, and I never Uh, really got into it. Fighting demons in Dungeons and Dragons—that's that's that's thirsty work. It's. so I just got involved in the I got involved in the Wiccan community. After oh, that. okay. I thought that was safer. That's that's yeah. I can see that. Yeah, there's. I, a, uh, I'd say I went up and uh, I sacrificed some eggplants. Oh, yeah. There was those folks up at Western who would do uh, vegetable sacrifice on the yeah, first. It's pretty weekend. gruesome. It's pretty yeah. gruesome stuff. Oh, All right, man. All right, we're getting away from the movie, and maybe that's kind of on purpose, sadly, because no, I'm, no, I'm going to confess get, something. I'm, I want to confess. Yeah, something. you didn't like the movie. I didn't I, think you would. I, I it wasn't, and I it's not that. And here's the thing: is I was kind of going into farcical movies that I thoroughly enjoy, and I was trying to think what what was it about Wet Hot American Summer that didn't grab me. And usually, when far, when I when I watch a farce, I know that they're kind of uh, empty calories movie wise. Um, but there usually is like a skit or two in the the farce that I just got to see again. I just is like fucking hilarious. And, you know, that's usually what brings me back to watching the movie again. And these movies are sort of meant for repeat viewing. I don't think they survive a single viewing very well. No, you um, really you really the second time is probably the funniest viewing. And then it it loses. I mean, there's a the first viewing, which is sort of just weird especially in a movie like this where there's so many characters the second view move, viewing you really enjoy it and then the subsequent ones there's the parts you really enjoy yeah and that's sort of you know and and they're kind of uh manufactured for cult movie status because that's what a cult movie is it, it's it's a repeat you know something that necessarily doesn't get a lot of critical acclaim but keeps drawing you back from you know time over time to keep watching it and uh you know some of them I mean, are comedy Comedy is sort of like music performance. Comedy performance is sort of similar to that, where it it's, it uh, suffers repeated experiences really well compared to dramas. Yeah. yeah, and so when usually these sh- movies get you know are on network cable television, and I'll just start watching in the middle of them because they're like an episode of Saturday Night Live. Like, it, what is it's like a you know these kind of movies are more or less an hour and a half of themed skit comedy or sketch comedy. So uh, it's, you know, like Saturday Night Live, it's like there's each sketch is kind of separate from the other. There's no theme of, of the sketch throughout. But with a movie like this and other movies of its kind, you, you set up sort of a theme like we're going to do, you know, sketches that are centered around a summer camp with, uh, you know, these sort of dynamics going on. And that's kind of what's going on here. Uh I'm trying to think about why I just I don't think I'm going to watch this movie again, and uh, it does have some really good gags in it. I, I totally have to give it credit for some of the real funny shit in it. Like uh, the Paul Rudd character is great when he uh, one of them one scene where he has to pick up his tray of food off of the cafeteria floor. That is fucking hilarious. You just thought that great put upon late adolescence. It's yeah, just hilarious the way he's just sort of. He's sort of huffing around. It's just because I used to do that. Like my my uh, dad would say, like, "Oh, you didn't rake the leaves the way I wanted them to." You know, and I'd go out there, oh. and I would like expend so much fucking energy oh. 
pissing and moaning and throwing shit around, you know, in a veiled, I guess, attempt at doing the task that I'd been ordered to do. And it's like, <laughs> you, you, do, know, you if, do the shittiest job you can as well. And then you get told to do it again and again, you know, and I'm like, if I would have just sucked it up and done it right the first time, I would have been in my room playing video games like a half hour ago. But I'm just so, rah, it's like some sort of rebellion, you know. So do you not do, do you not do that any longer with tasks? <laughs> the great thing about being an adult is you can sort you sort of play both sides of that. At least I know I do. I'll tell myself to do something and then I'll huff around. For a while. Oh, really? While, while I watch myself do a really shitty job just to piss myself off. You play, play your own dad. Yeah. Like, <laughs> do that. Actually, the funny thing is I actually did. I actually happened uh, like a year or so ago where my older brother played uh, the played Beth and I played <laughs> uh, I played uh, Andy in the did role you... where we were going through some of my mom's old stuff and I was just pissed off. Yeah. And I was doing a shitty job and just sort of throwing stuff around, and he had to chew me out. <laughs> did you Did you go into the, the the? I was huffing and had a big scowl on my face. <laughs> I was being a big baby about it. I was in a good mood that day, so. But you know, it's like, you know, sometimes you need to be uh, sometimes you need to be scolded. And the great thing about being an adult is you can go. Oh, I probably deserve that, and then you can turn yourself around after a few minutes. Uh, that was that was a pretty funny gag. The other funny gag I really liked was the uh, Gary or the. It wasn't Gary. Uh, it was uh, Gene training sequence with uh, Coop. That was pretty hilarious. Yeah, the Gene and Coop. The sequence. like the Kung Fu, uh, you know, the I, new way. So I, I, I'm going to give the film its due. It had some really funny gags in it. I, I guess the thing that it was missing, and I'm trying to think of why, um, is the characters. It needed a strong character. It needed uh, uh, like. Uh, Kind of, um, I don't know, sage of skit comedy to sort of rule the show. And it didn't seem that that was coming out. There was no, uh, you know, there was no Ben Stiller. There was no Chevy Chase. There was no Well, Bill I'm Murray. not a big fan of Ben Stiller or Chevy Chase. Though I do like Bill Murray. What? Serious? Yeah, I just, I never really liked Ben Stiller. Though I like some of his performances. Overall, I've never been a big fan. Oh my god, the Ben Stiller! Oh, I shows. heard the Ben Stiller show is pretty good. Oh, it's fucking amazing! And Janine Garofalo was—I uh, think she was in all of those Ben Stiller. Oh yeah, she shows. was part of the Ben Stiller show. Wasn't well, she? if you haven't seen any Ben Stiller shows, you're in for a treat. I, I'm sorry. I, maybe you don't like Ben Stiller. I think he's hilarious. I think. I think uh, it's just maybe as he's gotten older, I think he's gotten a little crotchety. Well, he—the problem is—is is he has a rut. And it's yeah. his rut. The problem is, is that um, the humiliation comedy that he he crutches on that quite a bit. Like uh, Along Came Polly. I don't know if you ever watched that movie. It was. It, uh, no, I never saw it. You know, the thing about great artists is a lot of times their best works in their 20s. And it's just downhill from there. I think that's the case. It's with definitely the case with like Chevy Chase. Uh, he's been on a downhill certainly slide. the case with Chevy. He's he's gone. He's at the bottom already. He's just walking around the Marianas Trench. Uh, Bill Murray has transitioned to, I would say, a form of comedy that I would call it the deadpan or slightly <laughs> dark comedy. Like uh, yeah. Lost in Translation is 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 and is an amazing co- comedic performance by Bill Murray, but it's not really a funny movie. It's weird. I I don't know how to categorize Bill Murray these days, but um, 
maybe it's sort of Steve Martin is sort of transitioned to <clears throat> like one of his best movies is Plane, Trains, and Automobiles, where he doesn't do gags. He plays like the straight man to John Candy, you know, and that for some reason works really well. So it's a, it's a deadpan performance, maybe. But uh, um, so this movie, I think, missed sort of that anchor. I, I think it needed an anchor and it didn't get it. Yeah, uh, I can see what you're, I can see what you're saying. I didn't miss the anchor, but I can see where maybe it would have improved because this failed miserably in the theaters and it's pretty much just a cult movie now. Yeah. And it's and, not even a huge cult movie. And I would say like Will Ferrell these days and he has some misses. I didn't find the campaign all that funny. Uh, it was okay. Personally, I sort of liked the way it was just a bunch of different people in this movie. And yeah, I know. Sort of, they sort of rolled on top of each other. I mean, there's just a lot of bits I really enjoy in the film. I, I had a feeling you wouldn't like it that much. And, uh, in a way, I take a certain amount of pleasure from that. <laughs> Thanks. I'm sort of a bully and an wow. asshole. Wow! Really, you picked core. a you picked a movie that you you thought, oh Matt, it's not going to like this. I'm going to make. I mean, there's certainly an element of that. I sort of, you know, I, I got a little bit of that, like the torture small animals inside me. Yeah, driving <laughs> driving slow in the fast lane, kind of dickish. Yeah, I like to I like to be a dick sometimes, but <laughs> I do I do honestly really like the sketches in this movie a lot, and I sort of in this movie that. This is the movie I. This is my weird pick. I give myself okay. a free hand to play whatever I want. Okay. Well, why did without you any without any thoughts to anybody else? Let me uh, ask you what farce farces besides this one that you thoroughly enjoy, and why didn't you pick those? Well, you, you know, now you mention it, I don't think I've really taken a really good survey of farces. I guess I'd mostly be interested in really absurdist farcical television shows and i've never really gone and seen the movies i mean i've seen see i saw uh caddyshack a while ago and i didn't yeah. think it was that funny what i thought oh. i thought it was slow and flat what? oh see and uh, uh. I, I i find the quicker pace of this movie much more pleasurable okay and i think it's, it has to do with maybe my attention span from the mtv video games <laughs> and well, i think that's a real thing is that the bits in Caddyshack are just a little too long and a little too languid for me to really enjoy. Well, the it's thing like that... Machine Gub absurdity, similar to a sketch comedy show, like uh, as, as we were talking about some shows like The State, which I really enjoyed as a teenager, and Kids in the Hall. I mean, everything's like three minutes long. There's not really anything too long. Well, the thing about Caddyshack that's a little different is that it had characters of substance in it. It, it, it didn't... Yeah. It didn't have, uh, I guess, parody characters like this movie. Like, I guess I sort of like these did. these sort of cardboard cutout characters in the situations they get themselves into. I just like there's sort of they, I mean this movie's all about building up tension between characters, and I mean I can go through go through the characters and tell you the right. the stuff I like. I mean, okay. the main character is really Coop, and you might have liked the move be, movie better if. Uh, was that, was that Showalter playing Coop? Uh, uh, who played Coop? Yeah, Michael Showalter. He's one of the old state guys. I sort of liked Coop. He was sort of a hangdog sort of individual, you know, sweet but uh, sort of naive about his interpersonal relationships. And that's sort of the that's sort of the, I think that's the movie's attempt at making uh, an anchor character that goes through the whole movie because it starts with him and it ends with him. But um, I really like Victor. The uh, the horn dog character, the unsuccessful uh, man full of bluster. And, uh, uh, I Victor, just love the scene. I'm trying. Victor, to he's the guy with the fro. Oh, who's, okay. Uh, who's who was 
his main storyline is he really wants to uh, get with Abby, the, 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 yeah. the camp slut. So he takes and the kids his, out in a van for a rafting trip and then basically abandons them. And, uh, I, I fucking love that rafting trip storyline because there's so much <laughs> funny stuff in it. I mean, first, he really wants to fuck her and he's got he's got to make it. He's got to make it back to the camp from like some far off location in the woods. And like he's driving hour like crazy. Van ride. He, he, he crashes his van into the tree. But the best part is he's always I mean, there's always these pairs in the movie and he's paired up with uh, Neil played by uh uh, oh, Joel I recognize Trublio. that guy. Yeah. yeah, you've seen him around. And there's just there's a fucking hilarious motorcycle chase chase scene that I just it just fucking cracks me up. <laughs> Where Joe, I mean Neil, just jumps out of the raft and abandons the kids because he's got to go find yeah. Victor. Yeah. And he right. just jumps out of the raft in the middle of the river, and at the side of the river is a motorcycle. Right. And he climbs on it. And first of all, there's a stunt rider in every scene that. Uh, and it's a bad stunt rider with a bad wig to make him try to look like Neil. Yeah. So you got this guy with a different body type doing all the motorcycle riding. And uh, there's basically a scene where Victor's running and Neil can't quite chase him, even though he's on a motorcycle. It oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Up. I remember that. Yeah. I mean, it's just it's it's so inane and stupid. <laughs> it just I guess it's just so absurd. that It just really I just love it. And so uh, maybe it doesn't really punch your your. You haven't answered so my question. You didn't answer my question. What's the question? Uh, your other favorite farce movies. Um, you're oh. mentioning like the state as a show, but I'm talking more about the movie. Uh, yeah, you know, I, I just don't know. I mean, I enjoy Raw and Burgundy. I mean, that was Anchorman was pretty good. And it's uh, a little faster pace, I think. Uh, it, has, it has an anchor character. Strange Brew is probably one yeah, of Yeah, I remember favorites. Strange Brew positively, but I haven't seen it since I was a teenager, so I'm not sure if I'd like it as much today. Okay. Other than that, I don't. I don't remember. Really? I don't. I don't think I have a great. I don't think I've consumed a great amount of farcical movies. I mean, I like Zoolander quite a bit. I really am a big fan of Zoolander. Well, wait a minute. You didn't like. You said you didn't like Ben Stiller. I guess I don't like him more as a person. Oh, okay. Well, that's sort of he probably. Opinions. Well, that's. I, I always like to separate the artist from their art. That's kind of my well, deal. I'm yeah. not as mature as you are. <laughs> and uh, so I, I like Zoolander quite a bit, but I've never really made a point. As with any genre of movies, I've never really made a point to make a complete survey, which is sort of the whole point of this. this well, I would like to throw the Cone Brothers into this mix because I think the Cone Brothers mm. do sort of a art house farce that is uh, we don't think of as farce, but is 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 sort of uh, I wouldn't call it gag driven, but scene driven and character driven and and situation driven, like uh, Burn After Reading. Uh, I enjoyed quite a bit. Uh, it wasn't one of their finer outings, but yeah, it definitely I mean, had some funny shit in it. It had some real funny shit in it. Um, you know, the whole George Clooney making the sex chair in the basement. <laughs> you didn't know what the fuck he was he was building, and then all of a sudden it's like a dildo chair. Uh, and then Francis yeah. McDormand's into it. It's just hilarious. You know. That yeah, kind of I mean, there was there was great bits like that, but it didn't really have the shot. I mean, it had this absurdist bits, quite a number of them. But there was also the whole storyline, which was sort of yeah. meant to carry everything. And um, I guess I, I guess so I'm not answering either, my question. Not answering my the question. Storyline. Well, I answer your question, and my answer is I cannot answer your question because I haven't <laughs> okay. made a, a concerted survey of the genre. I mean, how can right. I, how can I really answer the question? The whole point of this podcast is to find the answers. I'm, 
I don't have them. The Hangover. This is a farcical movie I really enjoy. I just happened across it, and okay. I've watched it a few right. times. Bradley it Cooper, The Hangover. Did you enjoy that? Ah, uh, yeah, The Hangover had its had its moments. I mean, okay. those are more story driven farces, I guess. Well, th- that's what I've... that's what this is. It's you know, this is there's very uh, little story in this movie. Well, there's some storylines. I mean, it has to have a few yeah. of them. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, they're very loosely <laughs> wrapped together, and there's so many of them. It's a real web. Yeah. So I don't know, man. I, so, I mean, I, if you're not I, happy with my answer, I'm not sure what I can say. Well, I like I, farcical movies. Do I have an absolute favorite that we'll agree on? I guess not. Uh, okay. I, I was just thinking if I was to pick a farce, I would. Well, probably, you should. Please do. Well, I intend to, but I think I would go more for. I don't, I don't know. I, 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 maybe the 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 less uh, obscure, the more I wouldn't call it mainstream, but. Uh, you know, uh, Ron Burgundy, I think, is is as far as Will Ferrell, I think, is just does this type of uh, film amazingly. You know, he's a uh, he he understands that I think probably from Saturday Night Live that you have uneven spots. You know, with these sketch comedy films, absolutely, yeah. And and to really, and this may be going towards one of your complaints about, I guess, Caddyshack is that you really got to be. Uh, it's like a song. You really got to be hitting the notes. You really got to keep the tempo going. You got to keep it, you know, rolling in such a comedic way that um, you don't have any dead spots or dead air or, uh, you know. When you do it, the dead air is very short. It's just a couple of minutes. I mean, there's there's plenty of dead moments in this movie today, but they're over so quickly. You're always looking forward to the next bit that you're going to like, at least when I watch it. Well, like, what I don't would you like say- the whole... I don't like the whole, uh, you know, the the indoor kids business. I think that that whole uh, that was pretty boring is a bunch of bad sketches. But every time you see it, it's it's two minutes, maybe ninety seconds at most, until you're onto a sketch that you really enjoy. You know, until Andy's doing his is giving the keys to the kid to go motorboat around. The, yeah, that's around funny. the lake. Well, yeah. he makes out with the the real sexy. Um, uh, what's her name? Oh, she's. Oh, I don't know. Very, she's hot. Whoever that chick was. Uh, What's her name? Elizabeth Banks. She's in uh, that. Uh, was it? What was it called? Uh, it was um, a Smith movie. Uh, Zach and Mary make a porno. She's the main. Oh, I saw that. That's a that's a pretty funny movie. Really Kevin like. Smith. Probably he, my favorite. He he's in this genre. He's pretty. Uh, he's like a. He's pretty pretty established. Uh, you know all the Clerks movies. All of them. Yeah. Two two. Mall rats. Uh, yeah. The yeah. He Zach keeps and it Mary going. He keeps porno. it moving. Yeah, yeah, it keeps I, it moving. I, yeah, even though I'm not a huge fan of Smith, I really did enjoy Zack and Mary because it does have a pretty fast tempo, which I like. Uh, so, but it it hits on you know there's some of the fundamental truths this movie hits on. It's kind of funny, like that one I mentioned about um, you know uh, the one that you played in the beginning about how ten years from now nobody's really gonna. It's well, it's almost reminding me of almost... <laughs> like yearbook shit. Uh, like I would pass around my yearbook and then all these hot girls that never talked to me at all during the whole school year. It's like, hope you have a good summer. Call me. And then they put their phone number in there. I'm like, what? You know, of course, I'd never call them. So, you know. Well, one thing about that bit where they're talking about setting up the time they're going to meet in the morning 10 years from now. Yeah. Is, plus, it, it plays on a joke I always have with myself because I'm always working on trying not to be late, which I was late to today's podcast on top of yeah. that. Yeah. Uh, and it, it, uh, 
it really is uh, reflected in the final scene of the movie, which I which I really which really cracks me up. It's the last. It's like a five second skit right after the credits. Oh, I didn't think I watched the skit after the credits. Oh, which one was it? It actually goes to them meeting ten years. Oh, later. does it? It's like five <laughs> seconds long, and the guy and one of the guys is late. And they 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 said we were going to meet. We were going to. He says, "Oh, I thought it was nine thirty. No, we said we decided nine. And that then it cuts. That's the end of the movie. <laughs> and they're all in their early nineties wear, which is pretty. Oh, funny. okay, that's pretty funny. <laughs> it's funny. I, the, the twenty year sort of nostalgia comedy. It's it, it's it's. But you know what I find more interesting is when they when they shorten it up even quicker, like the Big Lebowski, which just made the movie nine years in the past for some unknown reason <laughs> oh yeah 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 yeah. see that yeah that's that, almost that was, funny that was that was just genius but those <laughs> yeah. guys you know, we'll do that movie sometime well the big lebowski we got to do that movie because I, I would say kind of falls yeah. into this it's not as it's not doesn't have the absurdist element like this film has but uh you know mm-hmm. definitely uh in that category so i don't know man i'm I apologize yeah, no, for not. I, I, th- I thought no. I'm not asking. I thought we would disagree on it, and that's part of the fun. Well, you, I like really, you threw it out there, knowing that I wouldn't be totally into it. Well, I needed a movie that is weird, and this gives me a license to put some movies out there that, um, maybe I don't think you'll agree with on their choice. Okay, all right. But but I want to do anyways because I like them. So I mean that's that's why I do it. So I mean, tension is an important part of excitement. When people listen to a podcast, having opposing views and arguing things out, I, it's very important. I, I, and plus, I love, I fucking love Gene the Cook. Yeah, I, I love that he likes wiping a mud on his ass, and he has a bottle of dick cream, and he and takes he wa- sage advice from a can of mixed vegetables. And he wants and he to hump to a fridge. Up, he wants to hump a fridge, and he does in this movie. Uh huh. You know, and he likes to fondle sweaters. I just, I find that you just like hilarious. weird. Sh- I like kind of absurdist shit. I, Maybe that's the difference between a, you and me, <laughs> you and me as far as our com- comedic sensibilities go. I love farts. Go. I love fart humor. Well, I do too. <laughs> I love uh, I love the I love the comedy. Oh God, I love uh, the other character Showalter plays. He plays the comedian Alan Schempler or Shemper. That's it. Oh, that, uh, MCs yeah. the uh, and he does this the terrible show. comedy routine. <laughs> yeah. It's horrible. Real we did Randy. arts and crafts, but in my aims, we called them arts, arts and, and farts, farts and, and crafts. Yeah, <laughs> and then. The crowd just erupts with laughter at every single one of his jokes. It's well, just what, so fucking funny. Well, what was funny, I did like this, the scene when everybody booed the singing and dancing bit, because I used to hate yeah. that shit. I fucking hated singing and dancing. and and uh, The whole joke is that was incredibly wonderful performance of yeah. that song. Yeah, but I, yeah. I, but I hated that shit, and so when everybody started boo, I was like, yeah, right on, man. I hated that shit, too. Fucking boring. Oh. There's another scene that I just I fucking love. It's all these little moments that I love. Do you any drops? The gay sex scene. The gay sex scene. No, I didn't have time to get any drops. The great between um, McKinley and Ben. Uh, It was. uh, Oh yeah, they have their wedding and everything, and uh, yeah, they have. But before their wedding, they meet up in that uh, shed. And they really get down to the butt fucking. There's one part where where uh, Cooper's character is getting lifted off the floor. He's getting done so hard in the ass. It's just fucking hilarious. It's not a little homophobic, you don't think? Is, is, is it was a, it's a little, it's a little, but but it also is sort of sweet on top of it. I mean, it's sort of a loving scene, but it's really without showing anything. It's really explicit, and it just cracks me up. Uh 
Yeah, that's that falls into the dick and fart joke uh, arena there, definitely. So, plus um, it's Bradley Cooper, and he's such a big star these days. He is a huge star. He's like it's just fun seeing him <laughs> getting, getting grilled in the ass. I know. Yeah, Amy Poehler kind of takes a bit of a backseat. I, I would have expected her a little bit more in there, but uh, yeah, she sort of plays up to her strong points. Is sort of the Amy Poehler thing, where she sort of plays an obsessive, high and high strung woman, and which is sort of her shtick. The Molly Shannon character sort of gets a thing going for the little <laughs> the, kid, yeah, the the kid that uh, gives her all the advice so she can break it off with her abusive husband, and they end up that's uh, at the end to get married. <laughs> The little bit of a Mary Kay Letourneau. Maybe that was a big story when this uh, came out. I it, might, it might have been. I don't know. I thought I thought that was that was absurd. That was all right. It was sort of funny. Everybody pairs up. Uh, you know, it's sort of everybody has everybody has a life changing event, or go, at least goes through some sort of massive event over this thirty six hour time span. I mean, there's other stuff too. There's like there's always the same sound of breaking like pottery whenever anybody throws anything. They use the same sound effect over and over and over and over. Yeah. I think the entire I film. heard the Wilhelm scream a few times, but uh, I don't know, man. I, I I really wanted to have a lot more fun with the movie. Uh, I appreciate. I think, I think the genre. Next time you watch it, I think you'll really enjoy it quite a bit more. I appreciate. Uh, I, it's not that I don't get this kind of comedy. It's just I think it lacked some essentials, and uh, that kind of make that would make could have made it rise above. I think it needed a an anchor, and it didn't have an anchor. Yeah, and, no, I know uh, what you're saying. I appreciate some slow, that. you know, some bits that didn't work, and mm-hmm. eh, you know, but uh, I didn't see what was so hot or wet about <coughs> that's the, that's the other joke it's not really a hot wet american summer that's the whole point no, it's sort of a mild sort of a mild yeah. you know uh non-nudity type yeah. of uh yeah it's film. not really hot and wet. <laughs> no nothing at all. which is another thing i find hilarious about the movie is its title did you ever go to camp were you ever a camp kid uh i went to a christian camp a few times oh was it just a day there camp people getting busy it? but it certainly wasn't me i was struggling with my uh <laughs> relationship with jesus christ as my personal savior oh my god that took up a lot of my time and thoughts jeez you took that shit seriously they they oh they, yeah they oh yeah you back in my to, early teens yeah i was pretty serious about that you just didn't dismiss it and just uh write it off and just well, hypocrite once you once you once you start believing something it's tough to it's a struggle it took like, like four years before i uh you know punched my uh youth pastor pastor whore in the face whoa the you fuck himself seriously no, I didn't oh, do that. Damn. I just left. That would have been awesome. <laughs> wow, this one's for this one's for the devil or something. I don't know, but yeah. Uh, no, no, I, no uh, actually, it was when we were talking about AIDS, and uh, my youth pastor had the sentiment that maybe we should consider that AIDS was sent by God as a punishment for homosexuals. Wow, he he was normally a rather, and he was more of put out there as a question, not as a you know a bit of liturgy for us to obey. He said, "Well, maybe we should think about it. It's a possibility." And, at about fifteen, as you know, I was far enough along where that sort of was the, you know, the straw, or maybe a pretty good sized log that broke my camel's back of believing in uh, Christianity. Uh, I didn't. I didn't have a point in time. I just. I think I gave up the ghost one. Uh, well, it's always. I always find it funny that we expect kids to bail on Santa Claus and the Easter Bunny and the Tooth Fairy, uh, regardless of religion. Around I don't know what ten or eleven, like kids write that shit off. Uh, you no, know, I 
I well, wonder if, if, if this process of, look, we're going to tell you a lie until you're about 11, and then we're going to tell you it was all a bunch of bullshit. Yeah. I wonder if that really benefits the agnostic and the atheist community, because basically kids get experience with everybody being honest that they were told a bunch of fibs when they were kids, and becoming comfortable with the fact that you could believe something and then go to a state of not believing it because it's absurd. I wonder if that's a wonderful sort of lesson that's like, uh, it's like str- to Jesus Christ. Yeah, it's like a, it's, it's a straw man argument against religion, Santa Claus, the Easter Bunny, and the Tooth Fairy. Uh, I've always it, thought it was stupid, but now I'm thinking maybe it's the Because, well, I always friend. find it funny is, like, you you expect kids. Like, nobody gets into to age 18 thinking that there's still a fucking Easter Bunny or a Santa Claus or a Tooth Fairy unless their parents are really fucked up and they're retarded or something. Uh, but yet, okay, no, you can, you can write that shit off, but Hey, Jesus is real folks. And God is real. And, you know, you keep buying into that whole argument. I, I find that just bizarre. And so I think for me, that's when <laughs> my, uh, my atheism took hold when, uh, I started writing off all that fictitious fantasy shit with the Easter money and Santa Claus. I threw, I threw Jesus out with the bathwater on that one. You know, which uh, made perfect sense to me, but I don't know. Well, it makes perfect logical sense. Yeah. I went to camp. Uh, Did you go to Camp Waskowitz? Was that? uh, That was part of the Sonoma School District, right? Did you go to that? Uh, Sounds vaguely familiar, but I don't remember it. It was a week-long, like, conservation camp. Oh, I think I must have. It was, like, around around spring, and it sucked. And we did it all at, like, third grade. And <clears throat> it was cold and shitty, and we went up. Uh, I think the camp was up somewhere around Issaquah, you know, which is up near the mountains here around Seattle. Fucking raining, cold, and shitty. And uh, it was set up. It was like part of the school district thing, and everybody had to go. Uh, but it, yeah, it was. It was. It was. I think the coldness was the part that sucked because all the cabins had really poor ventilation, and mm. uh, all we did was make. Um, like these conservation posters. I just remember making conservation posters because that's, you know, there's no TV. They had to get you doing something at night. And then we watched like these really old film reels about fire watches and, uh, you know, that old Technicolor sort of graininess that you get from was there the, a, these um, educational films. Was there a hike to a spring? There was a hike to a, look, a, a lookout. I remember that, like a fire lookout. And God, I just you're you're bringing up some incredibly vague memories. Yeah, yeah. Food was terrible. Uh, it's been around oh, for well, time yeah. eternal. But anyway, so that was my one experience at camp. I wouldn't really call it a summer camp. Summer camp seemed a lot more fun than what I had to put up with. <clears throat> it was you know uh, where you're doing all those outdoor activities and archery and horseback riding yeah. and swimming and you know that kind of. We stuff. We did that so. in the Christian camps. It was pretty fun. Uh, well, I guess uh, I missed out. I, I I think I would have bought into Jesus to go to summer camp. To be honest, my my parents did send me to vacation Bible school, which was terrible. I don't know what they were. Oh thinking. yeah, that's just a local thing. Yeah, that our was church, terrible. Our church used to run something like that that I'd always go to. It was fine. My mom has incredible guilt over uh, my falling out with religion. So really, they're not clue. religious though. 
Yeah, I know. That's probably part of the problem. <laughs> a little bit hypocritic. Oh, it's, 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 a, it's a more <laughs> of a disappointment in themselves. Yeah, right. That uh, my soul isn't saved. Uh, and my parents Really? Are, are you serious? Your parents actually have thoughts like that? Well, it's my, my church, mom views. No, my mom views religion as like an insurance policy. Like, um, you know, uh, you could burn in hell. I'm just saying. Uh, so you might as well. It's like might as well be a little religious for some insurance. That was kind well, of that's a thing. famous piece by some philosopher where he talks about the the give and take. I forget who it is. Uh, I think it was it's Pascal. A good bet. It's Pascal. Yeah, I think it was Pascal. I think you're right. Where yeah, he argued ahead. for religion because uh, you might as well believe in it because uh, the benefit of believing it is better than if you're wrong and you're uh, damned to it. You know, you're which is is the pussy way out, in my opinion. That's like, uh, yeah, my I remember my pastor making the argument one time. It just seemed so pussy. God, it seems so calculating. It seems so. Uh, it's like a Jews. It'd be like a Jew pretending that they're uh, Catholic in order to avoid the Holocaust. In my opinion, it seems like. Well, I would do that in a second. Why didn't they? What the fuck? Well, I, I think I, they tried. I think people oh. they they checked. I mean. All this is in birth records. I mean, it's a country. They record all this shit. They can tell whether or not your religious affiliation by looking at birth records. Wow. Here we went from wet, hot American summer into the Holocaust. So I think it's probably time to uh, hit the Well, we got a wonderful one-star review from Ebert. So here (laughs) we go. So Ebert really liked this movie. He gave it one star. Is that, is that his best? No, you know, he, zero stars is is kind of he does zero stars. Yeah. Zero stars is sort of like the three star restaurant Michelin restaurant review. He gives it for exceptionally bad or off color films, and so I uh, actually enjoy viewing Ebert's zero star movies because they're so out there that uh they're unique and he can't ebert sort of uh he only can review films with he likes to review films in the genre that they were filmed or they were filmed in the genre that they were cast so he'll review a kids movie and compare it to other kids movies he'll review a horror movie and compare it to other famous you know horror movies Um, but when a movie hits zero stars he's got nothing (laughs) <laughs> he, has no, he has no bearings, so that almost makes it more interesting. So, yeah. well, one he didn't star, like this movie, though. This is one of his weirdest reviews, as he does it as a song. The entire yeah. review is a song. You gonna sing it? So, I'm gonna read. I'm gonna read a few bits of it. Okay, and uh, it's to the tune of "Hello, Mother, Hello, Father." So he begins, "Hello, yeah. Mother, Hello, Father. Here I am at Wet Hot American Summer. <laughs> wow, I hate it." something fierce except for astrophysicist david hyde pierce which uh is one you of thought, the weakest characters yeah was the, one of the, the weaker movie. Her- the whole storyline was pretty bad yeah uh let's see here uh here's of course let me leave oh mother father from this comic strip rotten mother nature don't make me stay oh mother father in this idiotic motion picture <laughs> <laughs> yeah uh then he talks about the characters uh, the camp cook chris maloney Goes berserk because he feels attacked by phonies. He talks to bean cans and screams and moans periodically because of post-traumatic anxiety syndromes. Yeah. <laughs> and he says, he, he concludes it with, watch David Wayne's direction falter 
despite the help from co-writer Showalter, they did The State on MPV. And of those two, that's the one that you should see. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, yeah. Okay. Uh, <laughs> compared compared to uh, our review of uh, River's Edge, I'd say that this one's a little bit more straightforward. <laughs> that's what, I've never seen him do that before. That's really weird. Yeah, it is pretty funny. I anyway, guess he, he's, he's not a big fan. Uh, uh, I, Look, he can't be right all the time. What can you say? I, 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 I guess I can't. I guess I can't be right all the time either. Don't uh, be too hard on yourself, man. You'll come around uh, to it. We'll watch uh, it again. Okay. All right. Well, there. I, I could have done for just a few little like boob shots. I would have really, you know. <laughs> I, I mean that that's kind I of think the, that would have that would have broken one of the bigger jokes in the movie. Uh, oh, that there was no boob shots. There was in the no inter- in the hot American summer. Throw 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 me a bone. Literally, figuratively, whatever. Yeah, I need, needed something. Sorry. Uh, all right, man. Well, there we go. I thought you know what? Of the other comedy that we hated, uh, I think this is quite a bit better Wait. than uh, the Pee Wee Adventures of Pee Wee Herman. I, I, I can get. Yeah. I can. I can. You gotta get, be honest with me. It's better than that. Yeah, I can. I can get on board. Uh, that that was that was sadly like where this is sort of a a bunch of themed skits stitched together to form a movie. Mm -hmm. That was one skit repeated over and over for 90 brutal minutes of, yeah. There were more laughs for you who didn't like this film in this film than Pee Wee's Big Adventure. Oh, most definitely. Yeah. Yeah. So there we go. So, all right, we're we're stepping up. But, yeah, maybe we should hit the the masterpieces of the genre at some point. uh, Well, yep, please do. All right, well, let's put that one to bed. That's that. We're not going to do that in next week. We're we're going to go with um, we're going to stick with the American theme, but we're going to do American Psycho, which I would say is definitely not a farce, but it is a satire, and it is an extremely dark, dark comedy. Uh, have you seen it? Uh, yeah, I saw it some time ago. I uh, sort of perused it uh, yesterday because I got the DVD. And, okay. Uh, I'm looking forward to seeing it. I forget. I forget how mesmerizing. Uh, uh, what's the actor? What's Christian the Bale. Yeah, he is. Boy, that's really. He's yeah, really it's uh, expressions. I'm gonna have to kind of, I guess, uh, sort out my thoughts with respect to the film about why I like it, and that's kind of a good reason why we do this podcast is so I can really, I, I guess, uh, kind of dissect why I like the films I like. So I'm looking forward yeah. to that. Fucking and... yuppies. Fucking yuppies. <laughs> <laughs> oh, there's so much going on there. Uh, I haven't read the book, sadly, uh, but I've heard the book is almost a mirror of the film, kind of like Fight Club is sort of a mirror of the original book. Uh, mm. It's 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 kind of uh, the scripting is pretty true to the the novel itself. So, yeah. It'll, it's 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 authentic in that regard. So until next week, you taste like a burger. I don't like you anymore. <laughs> <laughs>